0: Well, hello. You all right? It's bright up here. Um, I wonder how how much have you got to do? Have you got lots to do in your life? How big's your to-do list? Is there lots to do? Um, at the end of those notices, it can feel like flipping out. There's loads going on. It's like oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I've got to remember to do this, do this, do that. Um, I don't know if you recently we celebrated, commemorated, remembered. don't know which one it is. It depends on kind of your experience of lockdown, really. But um, I was watching Gogglebox the other day, and they said that it was two years ago that we went into the first lockdown. Remember that? Now, I appreciate same storm, different boats. So everybody's experience is going to be very different. But my experience... Um, with Melissa, my wife, when we were at home on our own with nothing to do all of a sudden. And the sun was shining pretty much wall to wall every day. And I'd done more barbecues than you could believe. I was like, I kind of like this life. This is pretty chilled. Like, there's not a lot to do. I don't feel stretched anymore. And I don't know about you, but as the restrictions have began to pale away the more I found myself stretched anybody else maybe it's because teachers are putting more of pressure on you because you know these mock exams now these might actually mean that these are your results to get into the university that you're hoping to get into Maybe you're sitting at university and there's more pressure on the grades that you're going to have to get and the papers you're going to have to do and the presentations that you're going to have to do. It just seems like someone's turned the notch up a little bit. You know, we see it in the news, don't we, that the NHS is under extreme pressure. There's a big stretch. Maybe you're a doctor or a nurse or you work in the NHS somehow, somewhere, and you feel that stretch. Maybe all of this stuff going on with the cost of living and you've sat up and you've waited for Dishy Rishi's announcement about how the cost of living is going to be better now because he's going to cut this and this and this and you're thinking 5% off VAT for green stuff for my home, it's still really expensive. I feel stretched, right? Maybe you're a parent or um, you're, you're in a marriage right now and actually your relationship with your kids is really a stretch, Maybe your relationship with your wife or your husband feels stretched. Maybe it's actually at work, like you feel the stretch at work. Maybe it's all the extracurricular activities that you do after school or in university or the societies that you feel like you need to be a part of. There's stretch. And then we get to church. Wow, gosh. There's lots to do at church, isn't there? Lots of life groups to be part of. Lots of books to read. We need to do more Bible studies and more time in prayer. And we need to come to church more. And there's this thing at Easter and that thing at Easter. And then there's this thing called Lent. And what on earth is Lent? And I don't understand what that is. And it's like, oh, there's just stretch, isn't there? There's a lot of stretch. And that stretch, it's not good for us, right? It's not good for us. Um, A quick look on Amazon's bestsellers. You want some titles of their books? You ready? Number one, why has nobody told me this before, right? And then you go into the blurb, and there's chapters on here. Look, manage your anxiety. Deal with criticism. Battle low mood. Build self-confidence. Find motivation. That's just all in that first book. Then you've got Joe Wicks' new book, Feel Good Food, because he knows we don't feel good right now. And then there's someone else who's written a book called Happy Mind and Happy Life, Ten Simple Ways to Feel Great. Because the authors know that the stretch isn't good, right? Right? And then there's companies in Cheltenham, right? I came across this the other day as I was scrolling through Instagram. Yeah, I'm like you. Don't worry. And I read this. Here you go. Here's a post, and I won't tell you the Cheltenham company it is, but this is what they say. They only had 17 likes, so I don't think they're a very big company. But it said, do you find yourself often feeling run down? Are you feeling low on energy through the day? you aren't alone. Oftentimes, we hear of people saying they are jumping from appointments to school to sport practices and everywhere in between. This can lead to feeling run down from being stuck in fight-or-flight mode on the gas pedal, looking for ways to increase our energy to get through it all. We grab an extra coffee, an energy drink, or anything that can give us that extra boost. While these may seem like convenience, they will leave us crashing from a sugar high and ultimately leaving us more tired than before. What are some better ways to increase our energy on a more consistent level? Follow us for more information. <laughs> right, the stretch isn't good. We know it's not good for us. Companies know it's not good for us. Books know that it's not good for us. And we know that it's not good for us. So, why should we live a life that isn't stretched? Stretched. That's the question on the docket tonight, and to answer, we're going to go into the Bible, which is where all the answers to life's questions are, and we're going to look at some of God's truth, and we're going to to just look at a story between um, uh, a meal that Jesus had, sorry. So we're in a series called Meals with Jesus, and we're just looking at moments in the Gospels where Jesus had some food with some people and we're just going to go, right, what can we learn from this? And so that's what we're going to do tonight. So if you've got a Bible, whether it's a physical one or if you've got a digital one, why don't you open it up, turn it on or go to Google and we're going to go and um, look in the gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, to 42, let me pray and then I'm going to read it and then we're going to look at it a little bit and consider why it's not great for us to live a stretched life and then we're going to think about what we can do about that, okay? So Father, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts to hear from your word tonight? Um, and Jesus, I, I pray personally that it's more of you and less of me. Amen. Amen. So why don't we read then Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And we're going to read all the way to the end, uh, to verse 42. So I'm reading from the, I think it's the NIV. Yeah, the NIV. Um, and it reads this. So at the home of Martha and Mary. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. He, uh, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So, the first thing I want to say is that what we do is important, okay? What we do is important, but who we are is more important. That's the first thing I want to say. You know, we we live in a society that is defined by our achievements, okay? So the way in which we construct an identity in this world, in this society, is by achieving certain things. And so you are literally, our society tells us, that you are what you do. So the grades that you get, that's who you are. The the achievements that you make in sport, that's who you are. How many followers defines that's who you are? And you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I catch myself if I meet someone for the first time, and, I, and once I've learned their name, do you know what the second question is that comes out? What do you do? What do you do for a living? What do you do? And society tells us that what we do determines who we are. You know, someone once said that we used to go to work to make things, and now we go to work to make us. It's pretty challenging, right? We used to go to work to make things, but now we go to work to make things us. This sense of like, well, if I achieve that, then I can attach that to myself. And that can be who I am. And I can go and do this and achieve that great thing over there. And I'll attach that to myself. And that's who I am. We go to work to make us. But God, well, he says that who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. Earlier on in the chapter that we've just read, Jesus sends out the 72, right? So he's been journeying with with some lads and some women, and they've been getting to know him a little bit and understand what he's like. And then there comes a moment where Jesus says to his disciples, the 72 of them, right, now's the moment where you get to go and do the stuff. You go to get to heal people. You go and get to do this. You go and get to feed the hungry. You go and get to pray for people. You go and do it, right? And So they go out and they, they do all this incredible stuff. And then earlier on in chapter 10, we see that they come back and report to Jesus. And they're amazed. They're like, Jesus, even the demons obey what we do. Even the, even, even the enemy runs away from these things. Even, even like this person obeys us and this person obeys us. And it's all because of your, the power that you gave us. And then Jesus goes, boys, girls, ladies and gentlemen, re, only rejoice. He says this in Luke ten twenty. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't don't rejoice in the things that you can do. Don't rejoice in the worship songs that you can sing. Don't rejoice in the services that you get to be a part of. Don't rejoice in the conferences that you get to go to in the summer. Don't rejoice in that or that. Just rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. It's whose you are that matters most, not what you do. Not what you do. In what we've read, what we see is that Martha... She assumes the expectations that her society had on her because it was expected that when you welcome travelers that Jesus was into your home, you would feed them. You would be hospitable towards them. And so as soon as Jesus enters the house, she gets busy and she gets cracking with the cooking. She assumes the expectations that society has on her. Mary, on the other hand, she defies the expectations that society has on her because it was only in that, in that time, it was only men that was allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi. And yet here, Mary defies the expectations of society, both in terms of cracking on with the hospitality, but also at sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear from his word. Now, Jesus cannot be telling us to be content with sitting down because he sent out the 72 he then tells us a parable um, just before the bit that we've read about the Good Samaritan. Anyone heard that story? Which is all about loving your neighbor, right? So Jesus it's not about, oh, you need to be sitting at my feet for ages. Well, what he's saying is that Martha is, is too worried and distracted by the many things to be able to really listen to him. You see, what we do is important, but who we are, in fact, whose we are, is more important the second thing that we learn or that I'd want to say to us is the state that we're in is the state that we give to others the state that you and I are in is the state that we give to others in the chapter in the verses that we've just read in verse 40 Martha comes to Jesus and and this is her objection don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You know, in just one sentence, we discover that Martha is irritable, anxious, distracted, troubled. She, she feels abandoned and alone. All of that comes out in just one sentence. My mentor says we, we, we bump into people's spirit before we bump into them. You ever had that with somebody? You know, you just bump into their anxiety before you bump into to them. Like, you bump into their worriedness. You bump into their stress. They don't need to tell you anything, but you know something's going on. When I, um, uh, I think we just got married and, and we'd moved into our um, new home. And basically, this home was, we'd renovated it, right? And when I say we'd renovate it, my father-in-law had, Okay? I don't do DIY. I, give me a hammer and I can destroy it myself. But I cannot do it myself, okay? And so my father-in-law basically did this house up for us, right? Now, I'm stepping into marriage, okay? And my dad is a bit like me when it comes to DIY. In fact, I learn everything that I learn about DIY off my dad. But <laughs> like the only tool in his toolbox was a tub of no nails, right? And... Um, so I, I came into marriage, and, and the, the two role models of, of what it meant to be a husband. I had my dad on one hand, really rubbish at DIY, and I had my father-in-law on the other, on the other you know, corner of the boxing ring. And, and that was, you know, Melissa's experience of what it meant to be a husband. So here's me in the middle. I'm like, what's, what am I meant to be doing? And so I, I put this pressure on myself. I didn't tell anybody, but I put my, this pressure on myself to be really good at DIY, right? Like, really good. I don't have any tools in anywhere. Like, but I, this was it. I was like, no, this is, I am the man of the house, and I will do DIY. Anyway, fast forward to like day two of living with Melissa into marriage. We've come away from, like, come home from honeymoon. It's been great. Now, anyway, we've been to Ikea, all right? And we've come home, and I've got bare lampshades to put up, right? So many. So I attempt the first one, and I'm up this stepladder, and I'm on my own, and Liz is potting around in the kitchen putting the pots and pans away, whatever. And anyway, so I'm up this like thing, and, and basically I'm trying to do this lampshade as best as I can. I've got all this pressure on me to be this person, this man who knows how to DIY, right? And I'm really struggling with this lampshade. And then I flipped. And I effed and, and jeffed, and this lampshade got it. And I launched it across the room. And Melissa came in, she was like, what on earth is happening? I'm like, I can't do it. And I broke, I genuinely, I broke down. Like, I had this absolute, like, I just, I cried and I cried and I cried. And I went like a little toddler. I went and sat on the corner of the stairs at home, and I just slumped, went, hm. I can't do it. And Melissa came over, and it, and it all came out, and I, I've been carrying that for so long, and I've been trying to hide it, and I've been trying to keep it away, but Melissa bumped into it. You know, the state that I was in was the state that Melissa got, you know, and, and she was great, and she calmed me down and, you know, made me a cup of tea, which solves all life's problems, doesn't it? Well, Jesus does as well, but, you know... Um, and, and we achieved a lampshade, and, and we fixed it, right? And it worked, and it was fine. But the state that we're in is the state that we give to others. And so how, how much of our activity, you know, how much of that, like, is really, about, is, is really about us? How much of our following of Jesus, how much of our activity is really about us? You know, Martha's concern was with herself. Do you see that? Her objection was, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And, and Jesus' response, it wasn't to condemn her activity, right? And that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not, I'm, and Jesus isn't saying that either. He's not trying to have a go at us having a go, But what he is trying to do in this moment is he's trying to point out that Martha's main motivation is is anxiety. To just about everybody else present, Martha's serving probably appears to flow from a gracious place where it's all about the other people. It's all about the colleagues. It's all about my mates. It's all about the people I'm leading in worship. It's all about the people I'm speaking to. It's all about, you know, but actually... Jesus discerned differently, and he saw that Martha was serving out of anxiety and not grace. The state that we're in is the state that we give to others. Okay, that's the second thing. The third and final thing, before we move on to get a bit practical, is that we cannot give what we do not possess. We cannot give what we do not possess. My dad, when when I was younger, he always used to say to me, if, if I've got it, son, you can have it. Um, and he never had it, and that's okay. But that was his intention. And it really stressed him out, I think, to, to have five children and not be able to provide everything that we wanted. And there's a real sense of lack that he carried. You know, Mary, it says in in chapter 10 verse 42 Jesus says this of Mary Mary has chosen what's important and it cannot be taken away from her see Mary knew that listening to Jesus was an extraordinary opportunity an extraordinary moment Jesus walking into your home I'm going to sit at his feet that's what Mary that's what Mary thinks and in doing so she's she's undoubtedly receiving revelations she's receiving the teaching of jesus she's receiving the word of god firsthand not through a kitchen wall firsthand and she has all this thing she, all this stuff stored up now right she's received revelation she's received unconditional love she's received grace she's received mercy she's received forgiveness she's received all this stuff from jesus and her pockets are full and she's got all this stuff to now give away, right? Maybe she went and gave it to Martha when she went and helped to wash up after. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't say that in the story, but maybe. But you know, no one, no one, no one can take away the revelations that we get from Jesus. No one. Jesus says it. Mary has chosen what's important and it cannot be taken away from her. But Mary can give it away. She can give it away because she possesses it. The best gift that you and I can give to anybody else is not flowers, it's not a box of chocolates, it's it's not a Nintendo Wii or whatever they're playing these days. You know, it's our relationship with Jesus. That's that's the best thing that we can give away is our relationship with Jesus. You know, by sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary shows that all our activity ought to be grounded in a lively personal relationship with Jesus. All of our activity. Not just the stuff that we class as church, right? All of your activity. When you're at work and you're doing that email that you don't want to send, I've got loads of them. But like, if that's grounded in a relationship with Jesus, like, I don't know, there's just something in that. You know, maybe you're coding or nursing someone's bandage or, I don't know, whatever it is that you do at work or in your week or at school or at university. Like, it's all, all of our activity. We've got to be grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, Martha's generous service, remember, it's not minimized by Jesus. This isn't, this isn't about being Mary or Martha. There's no choice here. It's both and, Right. You know, Martha. Martha worries um, show that her service needs to be grounded in, a Mar- in the Mary kind of love for Jesus. Right? Together, the sisters embody the truth that generosity and love of God—they're like intertwined realities. Just like a sister's love, it's not either or; it's both and. So, let me just um, wrap up before we get into something a bit more practical. Um, so, f- look, following Jesus. It means becoming both like Mary and Martha. Love your neighbour and love God. They're mutually reinforcing. Um, but our doing for God, like, remember this, if anything, but our doing for God, it's got to flow out of being with God. It's, it's got to. Because what we do is important, but who we are is more important. Because the state that we're in is a state we give to others. And we cannot give what we do not possess. So how then can we make sure that activity for God flows from a life with God? Well, the first um, is to say no in order to say yes. The first one is to say no in order to say yes. The reality is, if, if if I... If I don't, literally, because of the way I'm, I'm wired, if I don't schedule time with Jesus, it ain't going to happen. Like, it's, if it's not a priority in my own life, um, it's everybody else's priorities are going to be my own priorities. That's the way it works, right? It's the kind of, like, analogy of when you go away on holiday, you know, and you've only got so much space in your suitcase, right? Um, it's like packing that suitcase with all your socks and your and your Personal items, uh, and then you've you've not run out. You know you've run out of space for all the really important stuff, and you have and you're trying to cram it in, right? And it's a bit like life to be like that. We've got to put the big stuff in first. And I would want to argue that as a follower of Jesus, time with Jesus is really important. But in a life that feels really stretched, in a in a world that feels super busy, um, I know that I need to say no to some things in order to say yes to Jesus. Now, for me, like I've just become a dad, which is amazing, but it doesn't turn your world upside down. Like my time is no longer my own, right? And so there's some things it feels like I can't say no to. Like when Poppy is screaming because she needs milk, I can't be like, "No, not right now, Poppy, because actually spending time with Jesus." <laughs> like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do that, right? but you know and i know that there are things in our life that we that we, ca- we we really can say no to isn't there there really is like and i don't know what it is for you but i know for me my phone is a flipping little devil in my pocket and it distracts me all day long and it's like I could, there's there's moments in my day i know that i can say no to it in order to say yes to jesus and there was this group of people in ad 270 called the desert fathers and these, this group basically they believed that the church they were a part of at that time was was just really shallow, and actually it couldn't be really t- you couldn't tell the difference between the church and the society that the church existed in, and so they had to make a, they, they chose to make a radical decision, and basically withdraw to the deserts of Egypt. Right, and you can read about these people. Um, they're called the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And Thomas Merton he wrote a book, and he, in it he says he says this. Cheers, James. He says, "Um, those who fled the desert saw the world as a shipwreck from which each single individual man and woman had to swim for his life and her life. These were men and women who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. You know, there's things that we must say no to. I think, in order to say yes to the really important big stuff. You know, Mary says no to the, to, the, to the pressures of the kitchen, right? She says no to the societal norms upon her life in order to spend time with Jesus. So that from that place she could go and be active in life. You know, we, we need to create. I'm not saying we all need to go and flee the desert. I don't really fancy that. I'm not a massive fan of sand in the trainers, No, no. But we do need to create desert places, friends. We do need to create places that are deserts, free of distractions, free of the wants and desires of this world. And in his book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, "Um, we must flee from a life of overcommitment and hurry in order to learn how to be before we do. And, you know, you and I, we, we, we find ourselves in a season that the church calls Lent, right? And if, not, if Lent isn't a season of saying no to some things in order to say yes to someone, I don't know what is. Like is it, and I don't know if we're a bit into Lent now, but, you know, if you've not started or said no to something for Lent, like, here's a moment where the church prepares themselves for the presence of God and to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross at Easter. You know, here's a moment, here's an invitation Begin Lent. Like, say no to something in order to say yes to something. And like I said, you know, I've become a dad, which is crazy, crazy beautiful, but just, it just completely changes the way you have to live your life. And so recently, like, I've, it's been a real struggle for me to, to try and find that desert place. And I've experimented with all different things, and then you, I feel like I've got something sorted, and then she decides to sleep, you know, longer that's just Melissa. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but I've been experimenting with like a morning walk before work. Maybe that's a desert place for you. But, you know, maybe it could be a chair in your living room. Maybe it could be a space in your house. Maybe, you know, I don't know if you know, but this, this space is open every day, Monday to Friday, 12 to 2. Maybe you work in town and rather than doing your lunch break where you would normally do it, you'll come here and use this as a desert space. Maybe you'll come to Kingdom Come, which is happening soon. don't know when that is, but I'm sure it's on the website, Adam. Um, Or maybe it's a place in your local area. Maybe it's a park. Maybe it's actually your commute to work. Maybe it's the bus to school. Maybe it's when you're driving to work this week. Um, Maybe it's during a free um, at at sixth form or college. But the key, I I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the key is to try and create a space, to find a space that's free of distraction. Say no in order to say yes to something. Someone, actually. Um, so, okay, what do we do then? So we've said no to something, and we want to say yes to Jesus. What does that look like? Well, simply this, be with Jesus. It's not rocket science. feels like it, but it's not. Um, you know, I was reading again something that a guy called Henri Nouwen said. It's a really challenging quote, so warning. But here's what Henri Nouwen says. He says, we we do not take the spiritual life ie following jesus seriously if we do not take time to be with god we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not take time to be with god and when we're with god what happens is in your in your mind's eye just imagine you know a snow globe right do you know when you 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 shake it loads and all the stuff in the snow globe like just everywhere like that's our life when we're not with with Jesus regularly right just all this stuff flying around everywhere and it just looks like just I don't know some of us might look at it and go well there's beauty in that and I, I just want to go actually no I think it's a mess and when we're with Jesus what happens is it, it you know if we just hold the snow globe for long enough the stuff begins to settle doesn't it and all that's when we're with Jesus that's what happens all that stuff that's swirling around inside, it, it begins it begins to settle. Um, in, a, in a book, um, which you can actually buy at the back, I think, called Invitation to Silence and Solitude, um, Haley Ruth Barton says says this, cheers James, um, says, when we are with Jesus, the stuff that's swirling in our souls begins to settle. We don't have to do anything but show up and trust the spiritual law of gravity that says, be still and the knowing will come. Love that. Be still and the knowing will come. That's what Mary did. She, she chooses to be with Jesus. And as she is, the knowing comes. The knowing comes. And it's not that she's, you know, it's about her staying there forever. But it's a recognition that it's from being there that she goes into the world into the kitchen into the hospitality into the serving others into the workplace into the school into your university into serving the poor into feeding the hungry into serving on a youth team serving on a host team into you fill in the blank it comes from being with jesus So our doing for God must flow out of our being with God because, well, what we do is important, but whose we are is more important. The state we're in is the state we give to others, and we cannot give what we do not possess. So let us say no in order to say yes to being with Jesus. And I think that's what we learn from this story, with this meal with Jesus. To say no to the pressures of life, to all the activity, in order to be with Jesus for a little bit, so that out of that place, we would go and extend his kingdom into the places that we find ourselves.